Listener Production. A warning. This episode contains graphic descriptions of violence against young children and infants. If this content affects you, the number for Lifeline is 13 11 14. If you're in need of support, it can be found by dialing 1-800-RESPECT. Please listen with care. G'day, I'm former police officer Brent Sanders. And for the past 25 years, I've dedicated myself to sharing what I've learnt on the force to the Australian public so they can better protect themselves from falling victim to crime. So with the help of some of the most respected current and former detectives and high-ranking law enforcement agents, we're going to pull back the curtain on what life is like on the force and what they've learned about how crime and criminals really work. These are real stories from real detectives. This week, an officer who has worked some of Australia's most confronting cases. Everybody needs to know that this is not right, what happened to this poor little boy. Carla Tomadini joined the New South Wales Police Force in 1985. Throughout her career, she worked across several major crime operations, including drug trafficking, armed robbery and homicide. The other I found confronting thing was the um, bullet holes in the police vehicle. She spent 22 years in the force before moving to the Department of Public Prosecutions, where she prosecuted some of Australia's worst criminals. We'll go back to the early 2000s to kick off, though. It's a case that rocked Carla and much of the Sydney community. And a warning again, this is a confronting case, so please listen with care. Craig Andrew Merritt murdered his three children. He had three little ones to three different mothers. Little Jackson, six years old, little Taylor, 11 months, and goodness me, wee Michaela, 11 weeks. Can you just walk us through that and and your involvement in that case? At that time, I was working in homicide. So what the on-call car involved was you were just had to be ready to go any time of the day. The inspector would ring you and say, we've got a job at this place. It was Father's Day. It was... um, in the morning and I had two young kids myself. So, you know, my husband was getting his little father's day. And then I got a phone call from the inspector, said we've had this murder of three children at Cabramatta. So then I got in the car and headed out there. I met one of my workmates there. What happens is once we arrive, as we're the um, specialists, so to speak, there's already detectives on site. So they're the local detectives. Mm. So they had commenced the investigation and then we come in and we are briefed by them and then we set about a game plan of how we were going to look into this matter. Now, what happened with that matter was um, Craig had walked into Parramatta Police Station and given himself up. His mother had found the children in the house and had notified the police, but he'd also given himself up the same day. So we had the crime scene and we had the investigation and we also had then the ongoing liaison and dealing with three different families. 
Yes, of course, because each of the little ones had different mothers. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Goodness. And they had extended family who were all invested in that child's life, which you can understand. Yes. But it was very difficult to manage, you know, to keep everybody aware, progress, what we were doing, etc. Mm. And then we had his mother as well, who was a witness. She was in the house at the time that this happened, which was late at night. So he was charged and remained in custody the entire time. So this was a sentence. Mm. As part of his sentence matter, he was um, forensic psychiatrist, yes. reports, things like that, and that's he, he never gave them anything. He just said, I don't remember, I don't know. He never provided any answer for anybody whatsoever. You mentioned, you know, you yourself at the time were celebrating Father's Day with your husband and two little ones. Um, that's, how hard is that to reconcile, leaving your family on Father's Day to visit another family where these little ones, and you, you're not a robot, you can't help but as a mum, as a, you know, that's got to be tough. It, it was tough. It was tough. And I remember, especially this matter, I seem to have had a bit of bad luck around this time. I had a number of very young children being murdered, but this one, obviously, with the, the three. I remember going home. So it, usually when you're called out, it's like a long shift, you know, 24 hours sometimes. We yeah. just work nonstop because they're the key hours to get yes. gather evidence, etc. And I remember going home. It was very late at night. My children were sleeping together. They were a little bit younger than the eldest, I think. A little bit younger than Jackson, who was yeah, six. And yeah, and my son is also Jack. Oh, wow. And he had blonde hair, as Jackson oh. did. And I remember just going into his room and laying my hand on him and just watching him sleep, you know, and going, wow, how lucky am I? And Jackson's parents especially, I rem they were beautiful. So... His mother had um, married again and a lovely, lovely man. Jackson was their only child at that time. And, um, yeah, it was, it, it's, yeah, sometimes it's difficult to reconcile. Oh, yeah. But then I, I sort of, sometimes I'd go, right, it, someone needs to speak for these children in what I'm doing in investigation yes. of what I can do and what I can control. And um, that's where I sort of looked at it. And I do actually now I remember during the first week or so of that matter was September 11. Wow. And then I remember going to work next the next day to this matter, like going, wow, <sighs> yes. look what's happened in the yes. world. Was your husband in the job? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he yeah. was. So there was a, I guess in that regard, you're talking to somebody who speaks the same language as yeah. you and and understands coming back from something like this that, you know, there needs to be arm um, wrapped around a bit of debriefing yeah. and, and a bit of Absolutely. chat. Absolutely. And, yeah. and he, not only someone who understands or you can talk to about it, but someone you don't need to talk to about it as well. I know other people who are married to people who weren't cops and that gets difficult because they've got to explain. You obviously got the conviction. He pleaded guilty. He pleaded guilty. He pleaded guilty. Right. And then he got those life sentences because the the judge was just 
horrified by the whole matter, but he appealed those life sentences and that was overturned and his sentence was reduced to, um, I think, 35 years. or It was still a long time, but sure. it wasn't life. And he appealed that on the grounds of what? With um, life imprisonment in New South Wales, it's restricted, obviously, because life means life. Mm, mm. So um, there's strong, you know, legislation in relation to that. And so he argued that he didn't fit into that and the fact that he pleaded guilty. That's always got to be taken into account Mm. because we want to continue to encourage people to plead guilty. So if they get a life sentence regardless of pleading guilty, then there's There's no no incentive. incentive, No. The sentences were still lengthy, so I was comfortable with that and I could see the reasoning about that. But I probably, it's only now I can talk in such a matter-of-fact way. That's the way the system works and, and probably should as well. When they handed down the decision, the life sentence, Jackson's mother was right next to me And we looked at each other. It was the first time ever that tears started coming. And the Crown Prosecutor looked at me like, what are you doing? You know, and I just, this is the the tricky thing with matters like this. You're physically touching these people because it's that deep. I think it's a bomb that, you know, if I never see these people again, it'll always be there. You're not going to fix it. You're not going to change it, but Mm. you can make it a bit better. Carla, 2002. You're involved in a case which is always extremely confronting for police. And this was the murder of uh, Senior Constable Glenn McAnally, who was a, a highway patrol officer, 26 years of age, young constable. Difficult. I mean, the previous case we've spoken about is difficult for obvious reasons. Difficult as a police officer investigating a murder of one of your colleagues. Yeah, very difficult was a pursuit. He'd been following the vehicle and he was calling that over the radio and it was all very calm. And then when they made a turn, they took off. And that's when he called the pursuit and then nothing. There's nothing worse than seeing the blue shirt with the blood on it. Obviously, it had been taken off him in the hospital and um, we had it as an exhibit. And it's, yeah, it's quite confronting. The other I found confronting thing was the um, bullet holes in the police vehicle. He had no chance. In fact, the um, first police officers who arrived at the scene, one's a very good friend of mine now, still to this day, they didn't see Glenn. So when they arrived, they saw the offenders running away, so they took off after them. Oh, right. And they ran straight past him. So they got there that quick. That quick. They were in the area. Yeah. And so they had heard all that. They arrived, they saw his car, and they assumed that he was chasing ah, them. Ah, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, so he was actually in or close to the car when he was He was down. in the car. He, he was, was slumped. in the car. He was slumped down in the wow. car because he'd been um, wounded. Yes. And they, you know, they just assumed because they could see them running away that he was gone. So they went, quick, we've got to support him, right, you know. Right, And off they went after and made two key arrests. Hillsdale's quite a rabbit warren, and mm. especially where this happened, but they um, chased him through some blocks of units and then came to an open area. And the two um, fellows turned around with guns in their hands. Yeah. And there was just a standoff where the police was pointing at them and they were pointing at them. And then 
offenders changed their mind and kept running. Right. And so, and then our guys caught those two. The third fellow was caught in the yard of somebody he'd hidden and right. hidden his firearm in there. So they were able to catch him. And then we didn't catch the fourth one. The fourth one had hid in a laundry, people's laundry for like maybe 12 hours or something. Oh, wow. And then made the, his way on foot. But we got him five, six days later. They were together to do armed robberies, mm. or this is during the investigation we yes. uncovered. They were there. They to, they'd got the stolen vehicle. They were going to Melbourne. And they were on their way and they'd driven erratically like earlier in the day, which is just beggar's belief in a stolen car. One of Glenn's friends was off duty and he had seen the vehicle and he then he ran into Glenn who was just working by himself and mm. said, look, keep an eye out for this car, you know. Right. And so Glenn did a check, it came up stolen, he went, oh, yeah, I will, and then he came across them. Came across it just by just a set of like, sliding door sort of moments. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, you talk. Carla, about um, investigating the murder of a police officer and, and, you know, the bullets in the car, him at the scene in the New South Wales police uniform, blood, everything. It's, it's, and there's also, I guess, an element of, you know, there by the grace of God go, anyone. You, anyone. Yep. yep. Anyone. Yep. And it's just a moment, moment, cherry thing. You know, he was working an afternoon shift. He was, you know, going to go and have some dinner with his fiance, come back. He was just, you know, and then, Everything changes in yeah. a moment because of a vehicle with four people in it. And how often, you know, goodness, through your career in uniform and everything, you're out and about, you're just pulling cars over, you're checking cars, you you know, you're checking regos, you're doing QVRs, you're doing everything else. It's just, he's just doing that and bang, all over. And so you were a, a desergeant again at that stage and so you picked up the case and, and assisted with well, the prosecution. Well, what happened was, funny, it was the same detective sergeant I was working with for merit. We were investigating a stabbing at Hurstville. A young fellow had taken a knife to school and stabbed somebody, but the person had not died. So we were sort of brought in early to start, you know, do, and okay. we were... So we'd we'd done a day's work. We got called out right at the end. We we were at Hurstville at about maybe seven o'clock at night, and then the police at the station said to us, "Have you heard what's happened?" And we said no. And then we got the call, and we went straight from there to Glen and started investigating that. And I think maybe thirty six hours we were working like straight. straight. You run on adrenaline. Yes, you know, yes. and and you sort of. Focus, because you want to do the best you can. And yeah. this was a police officer. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we we sort of, uh, we were very lucky. We, resourcing, we, um, they drew in local detectives from em everywhere. Because there was, um, where the car crashed and Glenn was shot, it was in the afternoon and there was a, a park nearby where kids were playing. So mm. there was a mm. lot of witnesses. So there was a lot of canvassing and speaking yes. to people and, you know, getting that down. And, and because, you know, we were sort of more senior, we were coordinating those and making mm. sure, you know, the younger detectives knew what we wanted, how to get the statement, you know, and yeah. those sort of things. Yeah. So, and ended up with, I think, Certainly three, but possibly all four convicted. One murder conviction, I think, and uh, and also um, following the sentences that they served uh, deportation for a couple back to their countries yep. of origin. Two of them were brothers, I think. Yes, um, yeah. that's the, yeah. yeah. The person that we identified was the shooter who did the fatal wound, pleaded guilty. 
and the other three pleaded not guilty and then we went to trial, et cetera. So, yeah, and then there was, yeah, a lot of, some of those matters went for a long time. With Glenn too, it was as as the investigation went on and we spoke to colleagues, we spoke to family, you got a real sense of who he was. He was a wonderful person. I don't know him. I didn't know him prior to that, but I could tell by the way people spoke about him that he was a really good guy. I felt like, well, if I had have known him, I would have been his friend. Retired from the police 2007, 22 years service, had a bit of a breakaway and then jumped and did a law degree. Well, I actually started the law degree while I was at homicide. So then I I finished that and um, I wasn't 100% sure I wanted to practice at that stage. So then I did a master's as well. But when I finished that was when I went, you know what, I think I want to get a job. So I started applying and this is uh, a legal job this is, yeah yes. legal yeah, job I think yeah. I'll, I'll become a solicitor and yeah. I applied to 50 positions and received one interview which was the office of the director of public prosecutions wow. so that was 2014 just with that timeline around I'm about just there. Trying to, yes March 2014 yes yep now if we fast forward to the 2017 um, you worked on a case Jesus this is a tough case. This is a, a homicide of a little fella, a little three-year-old boy, three years of age. Three years of age. Living with uh, relatives in Sydney and moved to Oberon to live with his biological mother and stepfather. And tragically, seven weeks later, was was um, was pronounced dead. I read through this case, some of the detail that you sent through, Carla, and you know, both both of us have been around the block a few times, but these ones, these are tough. The thing I'm interested in here, Carla, is, you know, as you highlighted before, you've worked on cases similar to this, as confronting as this, as an investigator, as a police officer. Now you're in the role of a prosecutor, a different role, different pressures. Can you just sort of walk us through that? Okay. So um, the way it basically works is my managing lawyer gives me the brief. I read it. One of the first steps I always took was to reach out to the officer in charge, the police officer, to then tell them, this is me, this is who I am, I'm going to be your person for this matter, and try and get them in to discuss, you know. So we start to get that rapport going because we're going to be working very closely together. And um, the sergeant that uh, uh, was in charge of this matter, he was obviously very invested in it. He'd done another high-profile matter that didn't go the right way. So he was, I think, a little bit maybe recalcitrant or, or a bit standoffish with me at first. So it took a while, but then once he understood that I was going to be as invested as he was, then we got moving and um, and then we met the family, the extended family, obviously not the offenders, but the other side of the family who were... A wonderful, wonderful group of individuals. Yeah. There were it, there was a few, and they were just very like beautiful people 
who had just been broken, the grandmother of the child. So it was her daughter and her grandson. She'd been broken by this, yet she showed, still showed so much courage and mm. um, and was just a, a sweet, honest, beautiful person. And these are family members, just to circle back, that the little boy had been raised by extended family. Yes. Probably auntie, uncle, something such as that, in a wonderful, loving environment, um, grandmother around and everything else, and then through a set of different circumstances, ends up being placed back in the custody of his mother and stepfather, who are living up in Obrom, which is the uh, Blue Mountains, in Sydney here, and then these horrendous acts of violence against this little boy, which led to him um, tragically passing away. The impact that that has on those family members who had that little boy in their care, and it wasn't even through a family court decision. It was almost like, a, well, it's his mum, we'll do the right thing. They thought that that decision was the right one to do yeah, and to yeah. put him through some sort of formal argument or... Yeah, and, in front and of that, a family uh, court judge and yeah, things. And, and she yeah. had threatened that. So right, that was right. a live sort of, you know, yes. reality for them. And they went, no, he'll be okay. They, You know, because they're good people and she was one of them. So yeah. he'll be okay. He, everything will be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That must have been an interesting... Particularly in a case like this with so many emotional attachments to it. Yeah, yeah, because um, now it's our responsibility. The Crown prosecutor on this matter was Margaret Canine. She was 100% in it as well. So it was good. It was good for me and there was a lot of witnesses. The abuse happened over a period of time of mm. lesser things. Yes. And we were able to, you know, find people who'd viewed him or he'd been to an appointment or something wasn't right. And then we had another family member who was living in the house who gave it, you mm. know, so there was, mm. there was a lot of um, management of people and making sure they were able to tell their story. And Margaret was very good at that, um, engaging those people so the right the right information came out the jury it, it was a long trial it went for mm. a while and the jury were it was heavy you could see it was heavy yeah. going for them as yeah. well one of those cases too Carly you know we were chatting before about cases where offenders plead guilty and as a result evidence is not actually presented to a jury other than a, a statement brief of evidence a case like this the prosecution would actually want this evidence to be presented, I would think, simply because until you hear the detail of a case like this, you're probably not aware of how horrendous the, the treatment was. And it's almost disadvantageous, I think, to the offenders here to have pleaded not guilty because once this information's put up in front of a jury and you're prosecuting, it's anyone that's got a heartbeat that's listening to what happened to this little man is is going to be going, oh, my goodness. Yeah. You you never go into a matter going, this is a given, we're fine. Certainly you not. Know? No, and there was always not. that anxiety that, oh, you know. But I think once we got those details in and this poor, this this little boy that, um, and from what we, we knew of the fair, he, he was like the king of, the previous house. The whole world revolved around him. Little man. And they were very big in rugby and things like that. So, yeah. you know, he had, had and he had gear. a lot of, um, yeah. you know, nephews and cousins who all, they all idolised him. It was very, and he just went from that beautiful, happy home to this different world. And I, I just thought it, 
we need to do what we can for mm. his memory. You know, we yes. this needs to be heard. In, everybody needs to know that this is not right, you know, yes. what happened to this poor little boy. You got the convictions? Yes, yes, Both the mother and stepfather? Yes, we did. And convictions that which can never change what happened, but in no. some way appease the family and others that, that justice was done in this case? Yes, yes, that's right. As we were saying about they made their victim impact statement, so they were able to tell their side of the story of what she had done to them, and a, a number of them had done that. It was heartbreaking, but it was rewarding at the same time that they were able to say that to mm. her. Whether she listened or not, I don't know, but she certainly was in the room and she had to, and the stepfather as well. The jury come back in and everyone's sitting there, just like on the TV with bated breath, holding your breath, probably. You're an experienced police officer, but a less experienced prosecutor. The guilty plea comes down on all charges. How does that feel in your role? Is there a comparison? Is it any different to the feeling for the police who are sitting a few rows behind you in court? You're sitting right there at the sharp end in front of the judge. How does that feel? In one way, it's just as rewarding. You've put a lot of effort into it, everything. I must say that as a police officer, it's probably more rewarding because there's more hours gone into it. You know, you're, you've been there from the word go. You've seen it all. You've done it all. You've done that. There's a lot of work that goes into a matter like this. Whereas as a prosecutor, it, it's been delivered to me. My role is the next one. Certainly rewarding. And one of the most difficult things I ever had was um, I'm sitting at the bar table next to the Crown Prosecutor, next to the defence, keeping the poker face because mm. I've got to be a professional when mm. really I want to go, woohoo, yes, you know, yes, and, yeah. great, we've got, you know, at yeah. least justice has been done yes, in this case, yeah, but I, yeah. I could never do that, you know. And so I'd I'd have to really concentrate because I'm quite an express, I'm Italian, I'm quite expressive <laughs> and I'd sort of have to, you know, cross my legs and stand <laughs> on my, like sit on my hands yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. try and have try the, to, be you all know, very sage and, and, and yeah. the jury, they're, they're, or not all juries, but some juries, they're funny. They want to, if they go your way, they want to engage with you. Like they want to look at you and go, you know, we did the right thing, yes, didn't yes, we? Yeah, you we've know? done this together. And you've yes. got to just sort of sit there and remain, yeah. you know, professional and, yes. and, and. While the judge is sitting up, yeah. looking down from a Yeah, the judges yeah. are very good at it. They're, they're very good at their poker face. Yes, but um, yes. yeah, I, I probably need some more work. <laughs> but I bet they even walk out the back and give yeah. it a bit of a fist pump yeah. in a case yeah. like this, for sure. That's right, of course. Yes, yes. Carla, um, from working as a prosecutor with the DPP, you're lecturing at the academy to recruits as they go through their recruitment process or their, their, their training. and I know myself and, and you've been there, you know, young recruits coming in, often 19, 20, wet round the ears. You must really enjoy sharing with them. And I'm sure there's a, such a wealth of experience you've had, not just from policing, but the prosecution, everything else. Now you're able to give some of that back to some of those recruits. That's How's that going? Yeah. Um, sometimes, though, uh, what happens is, um, especially with police, we like to talk. They're telling stories just for the sake of telling stories, you know, and the recruits just want to hear everything you've got to say, <laughs> yes. you know, over, oh, what about this, what about that? <laughs> but what I try and do, which is uh, I hope 
uh, successful is try and make sure that there's a lesson. I'm not just talking about what I did because it's for my ego. I'm trying to align it to the lesson they learn and they can put it into perspective because it's very difficult. Ours is an associate degree in policing practice, so it's mm. an academic qualification. But to um, policing is a very practical occupation. So it's sometimes for our students very difficult at the beginning of their learning because they're trying to get context. They're trying to, um, you know, piece it all together. Um, what we've recently been able to reintroduce is our mock court. Myself and another uh, colleague who's also an ex-police prosecutor and um, defence solicitor still now, we run the mock court. And so that's where I really feel like I'm provide because it's the lessons are there, the experience is there, the context is there, especially, you know, in terms of evidence and mm. gathering evidence, statements, things like that. Like, you know, they, you can see the light bulb for a few of yes. those right when we're in the middle of it and one of them is in the box and they're going, oh, oh, I don't know, you know, <laughs> and you go, see, that's why you've got to put it in your notebook yes, or your, yes. your body worn or, you know, yeah. those sort of things. So that's, that's been a really, you Great. know, good thing for the, um, for in terms of, um, teaching, but also what I did with, um, that sergeant who's about to retire, I'll give him uh, uh, Robert Allison. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll give him a plug because he's going to retire. <laughs> He'll have to listen. Yeah. Now. yeah. Um, we went and we presented during September police uh, commemoration, we presented the matter of Glenn McAnally to give them some real uh, perspective on this is police memorial. Police officers have died, and mm. here's one story. And they really got a lot out of I that. Bet. And um, one of the parts that I didn't speak about earlier, but was the um, the radio recording. So you're actually hearing Glenn make the calls and yes. then you hear him nothing. Yeah. And then you hear all the police officers discover what's happened and yeah. the panic and the, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. mayhem and the yes. chaos. Yes. And yes. there's not a dry eye in the house. Wow. It's wow. real. And, and that the same thing happened during the trial. There are jury members, which we were worried that, you know, might do a miss. They were tearing up as yes. well. It's very, yes. very confronting. So that I think the students take away, you know, this is a serious job. It's a good job. It's a rewarding job. It's challenging, but it's it's very serious. Yes. You know, there's potentially life-threatening. So yeah. as a teacher, we need to mm. try and package that up and make them understand. Because sometimes it, they muck around or they're, you know, and you know, that's fine, we have a joke on that, but we've got to come back to this is a serious job and a serious occupation. Carla, thank you for being so open. Thank you for being so honest with your stories and, and the candour that you've shared them with. And um, just thank you so much for your service and thank you for coming in here today because there will be so many people that will listen to this and get so much out of it from what you've shared. So thank you so very much for that. Thank you. Crime Insiders Detectives is a listener original production. It's hosted by me, Brent Sanders, produced by Ed Gooden, and sound designed and imaged by Link Kelly.